How about Migos? Migos, I tweeted about it. It's like their their whole thing. It's like it's like watching a movie that while simultaneously listening to the director's commentary because like every time they say something, whichever two aren't the ones rapping, then like <laughs> then like do a comment on it. And it's like when you're watching the specialist in Lord of the Rings Bad. and like Frodo says something and then like uh, Elijah Wood is like, oh, that's when Frodo's feeling this. And Sean Aston's like, you're so good in that scene. That is the sound of glasses clinking for the final section of Angels and Demons on the Da Vinci Code, wherein we the, the discuss... The Dan Brown Code. <sighs> it's only our first glass of champagne. <laughs> oh, no. But it's like my third drink. Um, <laughs> of the Dan Brown Code, where we discuss and dissect the life and the oeuvre of noted, renowned author Daniel Brown. Hi, I'm Lena. I'm Forrest. Thank you for joining us for this, um, the end of an era, really. And the era being us having to read the the, <laughs> the Angels and Demons book um, yes. every two weeks. This week, we're talking about chapters 121 through 137 of Angels and Demons. I have a synopsis. Twists abound as the plot really escapes from Dan Brown. There's helicopters, annihilations, hidden cameras, death-defying aerial stunts, self-immolation, and at least one Pope elected. I pine for the days of Robert Langdon talking about, quote, some serious sex, because the last (laughs) chapter of this book is a stomach-churning, all-out assault on romance writing. It's so bad. I just want to start with with the fact that my last note for this book (laughs) is, I want to die. It is. You've got a lot to look forward to in this one. And any book that, where my final my final thoughts are, I want to die is a bad book. Yeah, we're out of the woods on sexual violence, but like into a different set of woods, similarly dark. <laughs> okay, so when we last left our hero, the Camerlengo was busting out of the basilica into the St. Peter's Square with the antimatter. At 11.56 p.m., four minutes until detonation. We only got four minutes to save the world, as it were. Is that a thing? It's a... Okay, it's a Madonna song featuring Justin Timberlake from, like, 2009. My familiarity with Madonna is, like, shockingly low. I have no gauge for what pop culture (laughs) thinks you know and what you don't. For Madonna, I like Like a Prayer a whole lot. It's a great song. Other than that, like, I'm familiar with a few of the big hits... But okay. not enough to like know the words, the verses, or anything, and certainly not of her post two thousand work. Okay, well, four minutes is a great song, and it was pretty popular. They did it on Glee, and <laughs> that's where I know it from. <laughs> and it's three hundred and fifty-seven. It's three three minutes and fifty-seven seconds long. Okay, so it's I not did four watch the long. first season of Glee like religiously with my. Uh, few friends i had freshman year of college i also watched it at that time when i then, it was on. I then last lost all my friends when i came, left college for sophomore year and didn't obtain them when i came back for junior year it's a tragic story <laughs> <laughs> anyways um so he's got the the antimatter canister holding it like a numinous offering which is a word i looked up it means so, holy yeah yeah I don't know what position in football is the one that holds... Is that the quarterback? He's quarterbacking his way through... through. I think so. I don't know much about football either. Okay. I think a running back might do that more, but... He's got the cam- the thing, and he's like pushing his yeah. way through people and making his way out of the crypt. And Robert Langdon keeps like almost getting him, but he was grabbed by Chartrand. 
and the reporters are like unable to get him so like everything is going according to plan and he says the lord works in mysterious ways and i guess for the purposes of this book dan brown is god because it's dan brown (laughs) who orchestrated the series of unlikely relationships and events so i guess dan is the lord here this feels like a reach to me but i'm into it (laughs) (laughs) because he's like the lord is making is ordaining it such that okay (laughs) But at some point, we stop questioning Dan Brown and start questioning the entire craft of writing. (laughs) Uh, Um, So Robert Robert Langdon seems to decide that the camera Lango's plan is to take the canister into the helicopter and head out over the ocean or perhaps over like the marble quarries north of the city. And then to drop the canister out of the helicopter over that so it detonates harmlessly or more or less harmlessly over or in an area where there's not going to be people. Yeah. So he gets in, in the... He gets to the chopper now, as it were. Yeah, the camera lingo busts into the chopper and, like, sends the pilot out. Yeah. And then Langdon gets in with him. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? What's he going to do? Because he thinks the plan is for the Camerlengo to throw the canister out of the helicopter. That is not a two-man job. Yeah, that's a one-man like, job. It's a one-second task for the Camerlengo to do. Robert Landon says, you fly, I'll throw. There's no time, just fly the blessed chopper. <laughs> right, I, um, I, I highlighted that too. It and, says, I can do this. He's, the Camerlengo says, I can do this alone. Yeah, which one you say, oh yeah, I guess you're absolutely right. There's no reason you couldn't, this, this doesn't require a separate gunner for this mission yeah there's no reason aside from my own self-importance for me to be in this chopper right now and they, they say the word chopper instead of helicopter every single time um, i mean the camera language did learn to fly in the military he might I, even say hilo who knows i uh practiced my get to the chopper now and it's not good so i'm not gonna <laughs> say it anyways but right as the helicopter is taking off and the camera lingo's kind of acceded to langdon being in there um, Langdon's looking down and seeing Vittoria looking up at him and presumably with great sadness in her eyes, but we're not told exactly what's going away there. Well, she drops away like a sinking stone. Yeah, but that's not her emotional state. No. I mean, it might be... <clears throat> I think it might be. Sinking stone does give you a certain emotional quality. I think it might be decent writing from Dan Brown. Yeah. Anyways, I agree. Now um, we're inside the chopper and they're just going straight up. Yeah, and he thinks about going into the sea, but then he remembers, like, explosions create tsunamis. Well, Langdon thinks that, but we don't know that Cameron Lango thinks that. No, no. Langdon's in his head, like, thinking to himself, like, oh, we're going to go out over the ocean. He's like, oh, no, that would cause a tidal wave. Mm -hmm. We're going to go out over the quarries. That's a better place. He thinks it's going to cause a 10 kiloton tidal wave. Yeah, you know, tidal waves come in kilotons. And also... He's a scientist who could know what kind of tidal wave would come Langdon is not a scientist. I know know that. (laughs) Okay. Oh, Okay. I was being I, sarcastic. <laughs> I I didn't catch it. You were your 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 wit was too dry for me. I'm sorry. I'll try to be. Um... No, it's okay. I'm just I'm just I'm just <laughs> a little um... more damp next time. Yeah. Uh, but they're not doing that. They're just going straight up, and the camera lingo's not responding to Langdon. He's like, "Go forward, Jesus Christ! Move the helicopter forward, not just up. We got to go over something. We can't drop it over Vatican City." Keep in mind, the camera lingo has never once said the word, I'm going to drop this canister out of this helicopter. He has not said it. Well, like many smart boys, he's decided (laughs) that what's going on in his head is also going on in everyone else's head. (laughs) See, I've done it, and like, (laughs) 
It's a deep cut. <laughs> but I don't like I don't like I don't like talking about it. <laughs> then Langdon finally figures out that um after the camera Lango just says the only place we can go is up, the only guarantee. Langdon's like, oh shit. <laughs> Fuck, I'm not gonna be a hero. I'm gonna die. Oops. Oops. But like, also, when they were still on the ground, the camera Lango could have said, like, no, I'm not gonna drop it anywhere. There, when, when Langdon was like, you fly, I'll throw, he could have said, no, no throw, and go in. <laughs> no throw, go. No throw, Well, go. he has perfect English, right? Or something? Yeah, probably. He's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the word sepulchral shows up again in chapter 123. Yeah, Vittori- it's at the end of it. Okay, Vittoria is staring upwards at the helicopter. She felt uh, a cyclone of twisting agonies. Christ. Because she's, she knows because of her female intuition what the Camerlingo is going to do. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah, she she says, "What had he been thinking? Doesn't he understand?" And she's sad because she's lost her dad and probably going to lose her boyfriend soon. And... I don't think they're exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think so either. Um, behind her on the marble escarpment. Good word. Good word. I mean, I see it a lot in novels and never outside of novels. Escarpment? Yeah. Yeah, why would you use that word outside of novels? I don't know. For color and flavor. I guess. Well, you're welcome to use it. Thank you. And so the Cardinals are praying. Uh, throughout Rome and the world, people are praying and watching what's going on. And then, cruelly, the bells of St. Peter's began to toll. And Vittoria let the tears come. Unlike Robert Langdon, who's only cried once in 15 years. Mm-hmm. She's Vittoria's cried a lot. crying all the time, like a little baby. It's like <laughs> you'd think her dad died. <laughs> anyway, it's very quiet, because everyone knows that things are going to explode now. And it explodes. Do you want to talk about this? It's not that interesting. It's not interesting, but it's, it's a pretty good description of the kind of Im- implosion-explosion thing that we get. Yeah. Um, this might be the most, like, we've talked a lot throughout the book that Robert Langdon writes cinematically, which I think is an interesting description for it, because, like, for that, most of the things he writes in a style that, like, seems cinematic, if you kind of imagine it on screen, instantly becomes very boring and bad. Yeah. This is, like, one of the sections in the book that is written cinematically in a way that, like, you can actually feel it and picture it very vividly in a way that's like, that would be cool to see on screen. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'll just read that that paragraph really quick. Then it hit. The concussion was deep and hollow, a thunderous shockwave from above. It descended on them like the wrath of hell, shaking the granite foundation of Vatican City, knocking the breath out of people's lungs, sending others stumbling backward. The reverberation circled the colonnade. Colonnade? I don't know followed by a sudden torrent of warm air. The wind tore through the square, letting out a sepulchral moan as it (laughs) whistled through the columns and buffeted the walls. Dust swirled overhead as people huddled, witnesses to Armageddon. Yeah. Good paragraph. I liked it. I'm also fond of, um, as is describing the light coming outwards in this big sphere, Mm -hmm. then it's, um, so as if it were contained somehow in a giant glass sphere, and the light rebounds inwards, sharpening and rippling across itself. And so the wave just seems to reach this limit in a sphere and just kind of moves back in on itself. And that's, I think that's a cool image. It's really beautiful. I would like it a lot more if I, they hadn't just used sepulchral. That, that was be, in the last episode. Yeah, that but, would be good. Yeah. But I um, read them back to back, so. <laughs> and chapter 124, never before had so many been so silent. That seems unlikely to me. 
Never before. How many are there? Lots. <laughs> um, so everyone's uh, full of spontaneous emotion, bereavement, fear, wonder, belief, and a dread-filled respect for the new and awesome power they had just witnessed. And Victoria is in her feelings, and she just, all she can think about is, like, Robert, he had come for her at the castle, although she's he had saved her, which he hadn't. She saved him. She saved him. Um, and now he had been destroyed by her creation, although it was kind of her dad's creation. She's a marine biologist. Yeah, Victoria's mental state... Well, she's a entanglement physicist. Oh, right. Um, but one thing I just noticed here... Remember how right before the bomb exploded, with the uh, cruelly the bells of St. Peter's began to toll? Uh-huh. Here when Victoria's in her emotions... Um, the tempest of emotions coursed through her blood. A single word, word tolled like a distant bell, pristine, cruel. Yeah. That's two cruel tolling bells within, like, two pages. I mean, he's not a good author, Forrest. <laughs> but, like... That word is Robert, by the way. Which is a great word. Robert. God Robert. <laughs> Robert. I wish, I wish that mic had a stereo effect. Lena's trying her hardest to give one to you, and it's just not possible with the technology available to her. That's very upsetting. <laughs> and Mortadi's down in the square, and he's kind of having an internal debate with himself over whether or not he believes that uh, a miracle really just occurred and that the camera lingo was indeed talking with God in the square. And as he's in the middle of this reverie, someone points up to like the front of the basilica and there on the rooftop terrace is Camerlengo Ventresca. I want to talk about that, but first I have to talk about one more thing. I'm sorry. It's about, it's about the, the, the word that's tolling through her mind. Oh, yeah. and more specifically that it's Robert and not my dad, my dad. <laughs> like, I mean, he died a full 24 hours ago at this point. <laughs> like, she is over it. She's known about it for at least 18 hours. It's so... There's no way. There's just no way. Listen, she's known Robert for at least 12 hours of her life, and he just died. It has a real impact on a person. Okay, the camera link goes back. <laughs> and he's standing next to Jesus. Oh, sure enough. Yeah. On the right of Jesus. You need to check something? No, just someone in the German class I was in from that I had to drop out of because I was sick for like a month um, on the group text was asking if there was a quiz. Is there? Uh, maybe there is one. And so Ventresca's there and we cut to Robert Langdon. Um, would you believe that he's escaped death again? Uh, yes. It's almost <laughs> like he goes on to star in four more books. <laughs> oh, there's so many of God. these. I'm praying so hard for another one. <laughs> Me too. Oh, like a new, like after Origin, anyone? Yes. <laughs> yeah, this will just be all our career. We'll just like, do you this can't, forever. You, I'm sorry, you can't end a career of Robert Langdon on Origin. That book no, sucks. It sucks so bad. But you guys won't find out for another <laughs> year or Anyways. So. Um, so Robert somehow is um, somewhere with lapping water as though he's comfortably asleep on a beach. Yeah. In he's a like, paradox of self-awareness, he sensed this was death. 
Is, does that follow for you? No, it doesn't. It doesn't follow. I so, I have a question mark written next to it. <laughs> Sorry. There, so the kid who was asking about the quiz on Thursday is like kind of an airhead. And the, uh, the other person in the group who's like my age-ish, um, who has very little patience for him, just texts back, no, go to sleep. <laughs> It's not oh, that late. God it's nine forty. It. Uh, yeah, but Sean's like a eighteen year old. I shouldn't have said his name. It's not now. He's not listening to my podcast. <laughs> um, anyways, okay. So, um, so yeah, he's there's no more terror, no more pain. He's not falling. He's just chilling on a beach or something. Somewhere. Somewhere. Somewhere liminal, a space between land and sea. <laughs> he says. I really like the sentence. He sensed demons gathering on the perimeter of his bliss, pounding to shatter his rapture. Are you okay? I, I was going to say something about angels and demons, and it seemed dumb. Um, <laughs> so you just, like, squeaked and then stopped? I guess. All right. So I really like that sentence, because that's what it feels like to wake up. That's true. Like, you know, like Jesus, the yes. first moments when you hear your alarm clock and you're like, no, please. Yeah, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, then, harshly, he was living it all again. So he has a flashback. To, like, two minutes ago. Yeah. So the helicopter is in a dizzying dead climb. He was trapped inside. So remember that locked glove compartment that the pilot tried to get into to get aspirin earlier? Mm-hmm. So the camera lingo has the key to that. Which is suspicious. I have questions about mm-hmm. that. Why, did he lock it? When did he lock it? That's what I'm wondering. I mean, like, he could have locked it probably any time, assuming the pilots weren't going to go in there that day. Like, he could have gone in at some point and locked it. But the thing I don't understand... So the, the reason he's locked it is when he opens it, he pulls out a parachute that he can use to jump down out of the helicopter and leave the antimatter in there. Is that where it is? The parachute? I, th- I think so, right? Yeah, he quietly unlocked the metal cargo. Quickly unlocked the metal cargo box bolted between the seats and removed some kind of large black nylon pack. Yes, because like, I guess that's why because he had taped the key out of view. Yeah, and then used it to open this thing where the parachute is. Right. Which A is like, what's going on here? And then B, why would he care if the pilot knew there was a parachute in the helicopter? If I had a helicopter, I would keep parachutes in it in case I had to jump out of my helicopter. Yeah, exactly. Like, surely that... In fact, I'd keep multiple, because there are multiple seats in the Especially my helicopter that the pope, the pope regularly flies in. It's like, the Pope-copter. Have it equipped with parachutes. Like it sh- he shouldn't have to hide the fact there's a parachute in it, that he has to, like, lock this thing that keeps this pilot from getting his aspirin when he needs it. Yeah. Um, OSHA surely has something to say about that. So they keep... Aspirin and parachutes in the same box? Well, I don't think there's only a parachute in it, which is why he's, like, secreted it in here. This is not good. <laughs> so, like, I, th- I think there's just not normally a parachute in this helicopter. There's normally just a first aid kit inside that box. Do you think Dan Brown has ever been in a helicopter? Well, now maybe, but in 1999. I mean, I'm looking at him, and he seems like the kind of person whose family went, like, on a trip to Hawaii, and, like, he went in a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, so as he, he swaps the parachute in this box for the antimatter canister, puts the antimatter into the lockbox, locks it, and throws the key out the window to keep Langdon from trying to throw the antimatter out the window. 
because there's no way Langdon's good enough at math to say for sure that when he drops the thing out of the helicopter, it'll far fall enough, fall far enough to not blow up St. Peter's Square. Yeah, and he knows that because uh, Langdon's looking out the window, like trying to figure out when to throw it, mm-hmm. and uh, the camera lingo reads his mind because he's also third person omniscient, and is like, "What if you calculate wrong or incorrectly?" Well, also, he's Langdon's wondering about how high this helicopter is up. And he's like, we could be, no, he knows small planes fly at an altitude of four miles. This helicopter had to be a good fraction of that by now. Two miles? Three? Presumably this helicopter has an altimeter. Sure. He but he's can, not, he's in the back of the helicopter though. I can look over that guy's shoulder or whatever. No, he can't do that. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Don't be ridiculous. Or is he going to stand? Or ask him or something. <laughs> Anyways, um, the camera lingo puts on his parachute and jumps out of the plane helicopter and leaves Robert Langdon parachuteless um and the camera says he's sorry it wasn't supposed to happen this way this scene Lena you must watch Point Break because this happens in Point Break <laughs> do I have to watch it before I watch this movie no you can watch it after but okay. um I swear to fucking god this exact same thing happens in Point Break <laughs> and it made me think that the same thing that happens in Point Break is gonna happen in this but it's not but I'm not gonna tell you what it is because you gotta watch Point Break okay uh, anyways, I think I know what happens in Point Break because I, I like because of the media. What do you think happens in Point Break? Doesn't the other guy like jump on him as he's leaving? Which the two? Helicopter? What, what, what guys are we talking about? I don't know which guys they are. <laughs> <laughs> one of them has a parachute. One of them does not, and one of them gets on the other one, and they're screaming at each other in the wind. Okay, I'm gonna spoil this for you because you have an inaccurate and less opposite picture of what happens. <laughs> So, Patrick Swayze jumps out of the plane with his parachute, leaving Keanu Reeves, FBI agent Johnny Utah, inside the plane without a parachute, not Isn't knowing Gary what to Busey do. Gary Busey also in this? Gary Busey's dead at this point. <laughs> um, Special Agent Papadopoulos. Um, not Papadopoulos. Um, Pompous? Starts with a P. It's a Greek name. Um, um, and I was thinking of George Papadopoulos, I think, who's like a media person. Stephanopoulos. I think it might be Papadopoulos. But there's Papadopoulos is the, is the guy who was a low-level Trump guy who oh, revealed yeah, all information the to the Russians. Yeah, yeah, Anyways, um, so Bodie jumps out of the plane. Bodie Patrick Swayze. His hair is incredible. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is, like, rooting around trying to find a parachute. His hair is also incredible. Um, but he can't find one. So, like, a full minute after Swayze has jumped out of the plane, Johnny Utah jumps out after him that, and dives down okay. and grabs him in midair before the parachute's opened. <laughs> it's so fucking good. <laughs> Anyways, that doesn't happen in this book. I can't remember. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, Johnny Utah? Yeah. <laughs> Is that his Christian name? I think so. Um... <laughs> Special Agent Utah. He's young, dumb, and full of cum. Did I say that? That's, uh, you know the guy who plays Dr. Cox on Scrubs? Yeah. He plays like the, his superior at the FBI, and when Johnny Utah reports to the LA office, he's like, you're a real blue flame special, aren't you, Johnny? Young, dumb, full of cum. <laughs> this is like the first 60 seconds of the movie. That's a lot. This is, welcome to Point Break with Forrest. <laughs> this is the podcast where I talk about Point Break. I would capacitate <laughs> It's so warm in here. Yeah, we're all, we're we're almost done. <laughs> Anyways, can, um, I, can I fan myself with this? Yeah, you can turn on that fan. We'll fuck up the audio a little bit, but N- not no, that I, much. I just, just for like two okay. seconds. Yeah, go for I'll it. Put it back. I promise. 
Oh, gosh. Okay. Anyways, how Robert Langdon does get out of the helicopter is he takes that windscreen that we've been fucking around with all book, and he uses it as a parachute, which seems unlikely. (laughs) And, like, he also says that he... knows that that it's not really working as a parachute. And also, remember episode one where there was the uh, portly lady in the skydiving tube, Mm -hmm. and we're told that Robert Langdon's knowledge of drag that he learned at that was going to save his life? Yeah. It distinctly does not save his life because it's like, oh, there's no way he's going to slow down enough to not die based on his knowledge of, like, spreading out to increase drag. Yeah, but it saves his life more so because he wouldn't have landed in a convenient place without it also. Oh, okay. Yes, I guess that's true. Yeah. It slows him down enough that he can get over the river to fall into as opposed to over rocks. The the Vatican, where he is. Yeah. He does that. He falls for some time. Yeah, he's like a makeshift parachute thing into the river. He's Yeah, he's holding it with his hands. He's got a tarp. And then he steers himself into the river because he's a G. And uh, then he uses his diver's instinct to enter the water in a way that doesn't rupture his internal organs. And so the people at the hospital, there's a hospital on this miraculous island. They they've saw this man like falling from the sky, so they go and rescue him. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 126, Cardinal Mortati is chilling in, uh, you know, where he works. Oh, you weren't joking that the island is magical. I told you! Ever since the island had been used to quarantine the sick during the Roman plague of AD 1656, it had been thought to have mystic healing properties. Yes. Okay, I Minutes that. later, when the man began coughing and slowly regained consciousness, the group decided the island must indeed be magical. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So yeah, now we're back with Mortadi in the square. Yeah. Um, and everyone's like, that that can't possibly be the Camerlingo, but it is. Um, but he looked different and divine and resurrected and all that stuff. And his white flesh shone in the spotlights with an incorporeal weightlessness. He's so hot. Um, he's like half spirit, half man. And uh, Carlo is up there. He just feels like he's done it. You know, he's proven God. He's created the show he he wanted, and then he kneels and he prays, right? That's everything. Yeah, and like, improbably, the parachute he came down on is hidden from the crowd by the shadow of the basilica, so they just think he appeared there miraculously as opposed to parachuted down. Yeah, no one saw him, like, fall in his all-white Yeah, in the nighttime. Whatever. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, so we're back at the hospital. I think it's important to note at this point, uh, the entire crowd is chanting his name, that crowd including the College of Cardinals. Right. Yes. And what are they saying? We're... Carlo, Carlo? What are they saying? Ventresca, uh... Ventresca? Camerlingo, Camerlingo? <laughs> I don't think we find it. Camerlingo, Carlo, Ventresca. Camerlingo, Carlo, Ventresca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They said they were chanting, chanting his name. All right. Langdon has is like puking and surrounded by people wearing white at this hospital and yeah. he was like maybe it's heaven but not really like it hurts too much to be heaven. Um uh Robert Langdon did it hurt when you <laughs> fell from heaven? <laughs> um the doctor is like what people are falling from the sky now. They tell the doctor that he's an American. 
And he was like, Romans often, well, he thinks, Romans often joke that Americans had gotten so abundant in Rome that hamburger should become the official Italian food. You know how there's an Italian food, an official Italian food, right? Pasta. Yeah, pasta. Pizza. Mozzarella. I'm just saying there's so many Italians in America, and pizza is basically our food. So what's the deal? Like, so we can be overrun by Italians, but they can't be overrun by Americans? hamburgers. Is it? That's why they say that hamburger should be the official. I would argue that pizza is equally as American as hamburgers. Hot dogs, hamburgers, Hot apple dogs, pie. They don't have it. Well, that's Dutch. <laughs> apple pie is Dutch. American <laughs> as apple pie, Lena. It's not Dutch as apple pie. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> so they find that his name is Robert Langdon. And they that's the man from the television. Impossible. Impossible. Um, and they, and the woman, the nurse <laughs> recognizes his tweed coat. <laughs> That's what we call a payoff of Chekhov's tweed, I guess. Um, um, then, so Langdon is in a very weird headspace right now. He's trying to figure out why these people are over him, these lights, Definitely not gypsies. Always a good time to be racially insensitive <laughs> to the Roma people. Aliens, perhaps? <laughs> and he spends a couple sentences here, like, trying to fight these doctors off. It's like, they're not going to abduct me and remove my testicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, all they wanted were his, not on your life, Langdon sat bolt upright, eyes flying open. And I was like, is Langdon afraid of butt stuff? Because... The fog began to lift. Langdon felt a wave of relief. He hated hospitals, but they certainly beat aliens harvesting his testicles. Okay, hold on. <laughs> First of all, ew. He's not afraid of butt stuff. He's afraid of ball stuff. <laughs> because usually it's the probe thing that people are afraid of. It's true. But Langdon is a man of a different stripe. He's a horse of a different color. All right. I've never heard of aliens harvesting people's testicles. Nobody ever has. <laughs> um, Langdon did not feel lucky to be alive. Like, dog. <laughs> you jumped out of a helicopter, amigo. Um, yeah, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> and, like, because he fell in the water with Galileo's diagramma, it fell apart because it's made of papyrus. They also had to cut off his tweed jacket, which is perhaps... The biggest like, how will loss. He, how will he replace that on his measly Harvard professor's salary? I. He really wants this tweed jacket to be like Indiana's hat, and it, it's not working. In the beginning of Raiders, doesn't Indiana Jones have a tweed jacket when he's teaching in the classroom? And that girl closes her eyes yes. and it's like, love you? Yeah. God, Harrison Ford could fill in a tweed jacket. So hot. God. <laughs> um... Harrison Ford. <laughs> Why wasn't this book written earlier? So Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford gets four thumbs up from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so hot. Um, oh, and they found the camcorder that you may have forgotten that Kohler gave Robert in his pocket. Camcorder. Um, a Sony Ruby camcorder, in case you wanted to know what brand it was. No. Sa- the Sony Ruby? I'm going to do it now. I want to know how small it really is. You're doing it too? We're yeah. both doing it? It's going to be the size of a fucking ham hog. Yeah, yeah, it's super small. 
It looks like ham the hocks are not super small. Excuse me. Did you say ham hock? I said I, I was joking, saying it's going to be enormous. I was camera. raised Muslim. I don't know what a what a ham hock uh, is. Fair enough. <laughs> you know how in cartoons when people when like the coyote sees the thing and, and it like turns something... into oh, the meat like, cone. What, yeah, like the meat cone that's not a turkey leg. Mm. That's a ham hock, mm. I think. So I had a Pantech phone that was about this big. Oh, this is just like when there were like digital cameras throughout the two thousands, like that replaced normal cameras like it's disposable camera size it's yeah. not it's not like super secret spy hidden camera shit size the ca- camcorders used to be like yeah like that i guess this is 98 i'm thinking of like mid 2000s when we had a camcorder that was like reasonably handheld anyways so that's just like on autoplay and the screen's cracked but the audio is working and langton listens to it and it sounds like two men arguing and then he has a revelation and needs clothes and to get out of this hospital. And Robert Landon continues to terrorize totally innocent civilians <laughs> by, like, threatening them unless they give him clothes so he can, like, bone out of this hospital and get to Vatican City. <laughs> one does not go to Vatican City with one's ass hanging out. Do I make myself clear? He's Queen Elizabeth. That's how she <laughs> talks. I think, I think the English royals now use one all the time to talk about themselves. Not we? I think that's I think that's uh, out, the royal I think that's one. outmoded. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Be- I just noticed because I listen to a lot of British comedians, and whenever they make fun of Queen Elizabeth, it's always one does this, and when one does, <laughs> anyways. Um, so he has a paramedic's jumpsuit on now, and an- another heavyset woman is around, and she's there to helicopter him to the Vatican. Yeah, at first he's like, oh, thank God. Even though there's traffic, we got this ambulance so we can get through on the sirens. And then, uh-oh, it's another helicopter. Langdon has been established as not like a helicopter in the first place, and much less now that he just fell out of one. I So it says, she says, sono conducente di ambulanza, which means I'm an ambulance driver. And I thought, is that conjugated properly for the feminine? But it turns out it is. Conducente is a masculine feminine noun. So okay. you wouldn't have to say conducenta or anything. I don't think nouns are conjugated. I think nouns are like decline. Uh, well, okay, the <laughs> tense or whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> sono would be, I thought maybe it was conjugated sono, sono would be a conjugation. Yeah. And I, I, I presume that first person is gender neutral. It is, yes. Um, and then she switches to English and says, fly Vatican City very fast because Italians don't speak English good. Right. 128, we're moving. 128, the College of Cardinals bristled with ebullience and electricity I, as they streamed back into the Sistine Chapel. I love the word ebullience. I like it, but not with bristled. <laughs> <laughs> you don't bristle with ebullience? I feel like bristled is, always has some kind of uh, militaristic or negative connotation mm. of, like, danger. Bristled. Like, they, they, they crackled with ebullience and electricity. They crackled with bubbles. Something like that. <laughs> um, oh, really quick. I really feel like Dan got lucky with the conducente thing. I don't think he looks... <laughs> it's very possible he did not. <laughs> okay. Um, they have to get the Camerlingo some new robes because his are torn up from being branded and all that. Yeah, um, and like, some of them have been trying to talk to him and he doesn't seem to be responding to them. And they're not sure if they should, like, physically bathe him because what if he is non-corporeal and returned in the form of some kind of, like, spiritual being to them? Right. I just wanted to say that I wish that I only wore robes. 
Because they don't say, like, get him some clothes. They're like, get him some new robes. You know, the robes that we have stored in the corner. And I want to live in a robes-only world. If I were a more religious person, I would probably consider monk as a career path. Like a, yeah? Just for the robes? You'd have Not to... just for the robes, but, like, I, I, like, I feel like I can handle most of the vows and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, monks are allowed to drink for the most part, and other than that, I don't have very many, like, non-monkly vices. Sure. So I think it'd be okay. Are you interested in shaving your head? I don't think all monks have to get tonsured. Sure. But would you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I like my hair. It's good hair. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, I, the moral story is then I could wear robes all the time. That'd be nice. You could just do it. I could just do it not at work. There's a dress code. Is there? I have to wear slacks and a button up, except on Fridays when I may wear jeans. Is it a button up or a button down? I call it a button up, but I think button down also works. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyways, the cardinals are all asking Mortadi what to do yeah. as the air ambulance ferries Langdon to the Vatican. Uh, Vittoria's emotional, and Mortadi is looking for work to do that is not comforting her, because female emotions are gross. Well, I mean, he does have a lot to deal with right now. All the all the other cardinals are basically saying, like, we've got to make the Camerlingo go Pope, and Mortadi is trying to kind of slow their roles a little bit. Okay, but he says he had work to do, although he had no idea what that work could possibly be. Yeah. So fair but like then the cardinals are all like um god has made his will manifest we must have a balloting mm-hmm. and marti is like you guys don't call for that that is my job as the great elector <laughs> and uh all the other cardinals like not having his bullshit about the camerlengo not being like a, a divine spirit now who's ordained to be the pope and uh, it says here that they're offended by his sobriety and once i stopped drinking my friends were also offended by my sobriety. <laughs> Mortadi's voice bellowed now with a resonance he had never known. I am not questioning God's power. It is God who gave us reason and circumspection. It is God we serve by exercising prudence. <laughs> um, I'm doing voice on this podcast now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> my grandpa used to talk that way. Not, it's a, fun, that, way, it's a not, fun way to talk. Not in that voice, but about God and like... It is our duty to use our brains because God gave us brains, so it made me remember my grandpa. I'm into that. Yeah, so grandpa yeah, was now, a cool dude. Now, as as the cardinals are all like hustling and bustling inside, Vittoria's um, benumbed on a bench. Does it say that? Yes. In the beginning oh, of chapter Lord, it does say benumbed. Anyway. And uh, she sees Robert walking in. She stood, ellipsis, unable to believe the vision. Ra. Ellipsis. Ellipsis. <laughs> Bert? <laughs> he never answered. What an asshole. He strode directly to her and wrapped her in his arms. When he pressed his lips to hers, it was an impulsive long... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was an impulsive, longing kiss filled with thankfulness. Vittoria felt the tears coming. I guess talking mid-kiss, which is always good. Oh, God. Oh, thank God. He kissed her again, more passionately, and she pressed against him, losing herself in his embrace, their bodies locked as if they'd known each other for years. She forgot the fear and pain. She closed her eyes, weightless in the moment. It gets way worse, guys. It gets so much worse than that, but that on its own is so gross. I like that Robert is kind of old, because it makes all this James Bondness kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, Robert Moore, when he was playing Bond, was like 50-something, like... 
my dude was old. Yeah. Um, this is so gross. And then Robert Her dad just died. Yeah, and then Robert gets like do an I object moment in a moment here. Mm-hmm. So the Cardinal's still yelling at Mortadi, asking him to make the camera lingo the Pope and to have a balloting. And then who but the chosen one could have survived that diabolical explosion? Me! Me. A voice reverberated <laughs> from the back of the chapel. And uh oh, it's Robert Langdon strolling up the aisle with his Sony camcorder. And before he's made his grand entrance, he's managed to rope some Swiss guards into bringing a TV and the necessary AV equipment to hook this camcorder up to the TV into the chapel with them. Class, we're watching a movie today. <laughs> it's one of those cards. Well, I, well, I want to know how does the Vatican? How does like all their support staff is gone? Right? It's right. just the Swiss guard there. Yeah. How does the Swiss guard have the necessary AV expertise to be able to hook this camera up to any TV? Yeah. No, I. I, I refuse to believe for one minute that they didn't dig around for 20 minutes for, like, like people, the right output yeah, like, cord. <laughs> people who are prepared to, like, show a movie somewhere still, like, fuck up all the time with their AV stuff. It's also, like, an old cathode ray TV, probably. You know, like, one of those big analog TVs? Sure. Where, where do you plug things into that? I don't know. I mean, we've established Vatican City is a place of very long cables for... <laughs> Chinita Mockery's camera. Yeah. For... But this is not like an HDMI situation where you've got like one cable for everything. They didn't even have HDMIs yet. This is the past. They didn't have HD even. No. Oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, and so then we see what's recorded on this camcorder. And it's the view from uh, Maximilian Kohler's wheelchair as he secretly films his meeting with the camera Lengo, which mm-hmm. we're about to see in a different light. I'm sorry, we're getting so close to the end, and God. and I, I'm just I dreading it so much. I can taste it. I want it so much, it's like acid in my mouth, Johnny. <laughs> Point break. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, so basically what's happening here is Kohler has looked at Vit- Leonardo Vetra's diaries and found out that he broke his promise to Vittoria to not tell anybody about the antimatter because he was having spiritual questions about it. And so he wound up telling the Pope, who then, since he couldn't go incognito to CERN, sent the Camerlengo to CERN. And the Camerlengo had some real problems with it. And so he started um, having doubts about it. He came back to the Pope's office and... Um, he kind of winds up hatching this plan after the Pope thinks that Vetra's antimatter is good and not bad. And that they should fund it. And that the Vatican should help fund it. And, like, this is where the plot all comes to light, and it is indescribably stupid. It's so stupid, and it's so poorly retold. Yeah, and so, like, the Camerlengo is furious that the Pope is willing to countenance this uh, kind of bending of the knee to science as opposed to the church and he storms out and the pope's like wait my son i have something to tell you no no that's not what it is oh shit that's not when he says that oh, i have no. to tell you uh, can, can we just oh. say it, it well, I, oh, I mean like... i mean so i guess later we the have the like sulking right and the pope comes in and tells him that he had a child is that what it is because I i'm thought... not exactly sure so i thought it was like Science has given me very many things, right? Okay, That's yes. why he wants to fund this thing. And he's like, how could you like science? And he's like, well, it's given me a great many things. For example, I had a child with the help of science. 
and Camerlin goes like vomiting yeah. and like tearing at his flesh tearing at his flesh and like lying on the ground in places <laughs> and being more extra than the Hassa scene I feel like in another world the Hassa scene and the Camerlingo could have been best friends they were co-workers <laughs> <laughs> not really though <laughs> I mean they were in a, they, were in a, they were in an employer employee relationship yeah but they could have been friends is what I'm saying I think they could have been friends <laughs> yeah so he puts together this plan to kill the Pope for being uh, unchaste and, and then he also didn't want any of the kind of successors, the preferiti, to become the Pope because he felt that they exhibited, I guess, the core problem that we all know about the Catholic Church's leadership, that they're too liberal too liberal and open to change. But also they're old and uninspiring. And we, yeah, you wanted was... someone powerful and like miraculous and young, young and, sexy. and sexy like Jesus. Yeah. And the camera. I mean, yeah, he does fit that bill. Yeah, he's very sexy. Um, um, so he he hatches this plan to murder the camera link, to murder the Pope, uh, get this Hassassin guy on board. He has all the Illuminati brands. Because um, they're like sitting in a Vatican archive somewhere. Yeah, and he gets this Hassassin guy. He kidnaps all the popes. He does, and then he does the plan. Yeah, and, and he brands himself. Yes, the, during the, the Kohler. The, the key part in that confrontation is so like Kohler's confronting him and. Um, Instead of shooting him, he delays, as is the case with everybody who ever has a gun on a villain in this book. They fuck up and don't shoot them. And so the Camelango brands himself, and the guards run in, and now they see... Now his sweet-smelling flesh is burning, just <laughs> like his mother's. God damn it. <laughs> and they see Kohler with his gun trained on this guy on the ground, because he throws the brand at Kohler's feet, so that way they'll think Kohler did the branding. And so they immediately shoot Kohler, and then Roche, who Kohler had called from CERN to say, hey, the camera lingo is behind all this, and that's why Roche was acting weirdly. Even though, like, Roche should have just rolled in there and arrested the camera lingo, it seems to me. Um, but instead he, like, lets Kohler go in there alone. This old guy with a physical disability into the room with this dangerous, proven murderer, young, strong guy. Ex-military. Ex-military, young, <laughs> strong guy. He lets him go in the room with him, alone, unguarded, and, like, not arresting the camera lingo. And so then when Roche walks in the room, runs in the room, and starts accusing the camera lingo before he's able to, the camera lingo can just call him an Illuminatus and then get him gunned down. And now the camera lingo's path to... The papacy is clear, except for those meddling symbologists. <laughs> and entanglement physicists. And entanglement physicists. Really quick. So they thought the man with the physical disability <laughs> in a wheelchair heated up the brand and then rolled over to the camera lingo. Rolled over to him, branded him with the gun still trained on him, and then, then rolled, rolled back, back, dropped the dropped, brand, yeah. kept the gun pointed at him. Yes. This is the man who was in the hospital three hours ago with some debilitating um, thing it, going also on. Also, they don't have fingerprint technology at the I Vatican? mean, they didn't have the speed for that, I guess. Sure. And, like, everyone walked in and saw it. I don't think you do your forensics when, like, you can see what's happening. <laughs> but suffice it to say, this plan is really razor really bad. thin. Bad, bad, bad. Um, but and for the glory of God. Yeah, I think now is the time for a break for 187 men to avoid. Okay, hi. It's uh, 187 men to avoid. 19. Men who think farting is cute.
So I have a couple things to say about this. Like, I have girlfriends who are like, they think farting is funny. They'll yeah. like fart around people. I'm like, not, I'm not like that. I was going to say, it's not my thing, but like, people are, people think that's funny. People and that's fine. F- find partners who are okay with that. Yeah. You know, I just personally, like, I don't fart around my family. I don't, you know. Same. Yeah. I, th- I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Men who play the tambourine. Like, Phil they... Collins plays the tambourine. <laughs> Phil Collins, yes. I mean, it's like a vague personal attack in that, like, I have put the tambourine poorly, but, like, I'm not going to count that as a personal attack on the grass like I'm bad at the tambourine. But, like, playing the tambourine well is a skill. Mm-hmm. And, like, it when it's it, when it's deployed well, it can be very good. No grand to stand upon here, Dan Brown. Like, the correct take is don't date drummers. <laughs> Which is also Phil Collins. And, like, also... I don't think you should date Phil Collins. I love the man dearly. But I like, wouldn't date him. I think he's had, like, several failed bad relationships. Yeah. And he's written beautiful songs about all yeah. of them. I just watched the farewell performance oh, with so my parents. so I have it on DVD. It's so, it's so <laughs> good. Um, men with license plate frames that read, So many women, so little time. I've never yeah. seen this, so I don't know to avoid them. I mean, I, I think... It's, like, the same category as, like, men with FBI female body inspector shirts. Yeah. I think you're fairly safe avoiding them. Or in one of the recent episodes, there was one where it's, like, naked women on the mud flap. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Men who insist on ordering for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with this one. That's gross. I don't like, like it. Yeah, especially insist upon, like, if people just, like, do it once, maybe it's probably not that bad. Or they think it's the chivalrous thing to do, or they're with, like, someone, and in their relationship, it's just, like, what they do. But, like, if it's, like, a thing you're not flexible on, it's both pretty fucked up. Yeah, that's the insist thing, right? Um, how many do we do? Six? Six. I, the last one numbered there is the last one, 24. Okay, great. Men who are still mad they never got that Eagle Scout badge. <laughs> I got mine, bitch. <laughs> I didn't time that well for your sip. <laughs> I've I very nearly did a spit take, guys. If you didn't get it, would you be mad about it to this day? Probably. You're I've, kind of a grudge holder. I am. Um, and, like, honestly, like, the best thing about Eagle Scout is, like, despite the, like, moral questionability of the Boy Scouts, Eagle Scout is always very good on a resume. People like it. Yeah. So it's not you, but, like, but for the grace of God. Yeah, kind exactly. Of. It's a near miss. <laughs> Dan Brown, when you when when you come for the king, you best not miss, Dan Brown. <laughs> you should just count that. Eh. If you want to. I think I think together with tambourine we'll count it as one. Okay. Okay. Uh finally, men who think Lama sorry, men who think Lamaze is a famous French car race. Uh, <laughs> a funny joke. Do you know what Lamaze is? Yeah, it's like the pregnancy exercises. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be concerned if someone didn't know, I think. Because the trend has, like, come and went, right? Like, yeah. Like, it, like Lamaze was a big thing in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. and now everyone's mom knows what Lamaze is, and you should know, too. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, it's like if you met someone who had never heard of Murder, She Wrote, and you were like, how is that possible? That's was, it. She was the teapot. <laughs> she was the teapot. <laughs> um, that was... We're at number 24 of yeah. 187 men so to avoid. now you guys know 24 men to avoid, and already in that first 24, <laughs> there's already a few, like, 
crossovers because I feel like the mud flaps one and the um, so many women so little time license plate frame ones are the same thing and also in the first 24 here that's two separate license plate frame jokes well the mud flap is in a license plate frame is there it another is not. one? we had the men whose license plate say I break for bingo I thought it was just a bumper sticker I didn't think it... whatever okay. shit written on their car okay <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go through it really quickly actually and see if I were a man would I be guilty of any of these because okay. a lot of these are just like straight up homophobic like yes. if you're, if the man you were talking to is like slightly effeminate well they're, they're either they're either like against vaguely effeminate men or against men who are more masculine than Jen Brown yeah I would dress my dog there's a sweet spot right in New England preppy where you're good <laughs> uh, I wear spandex biker shorts. Uh, I do lunch. Or I do brunch, which is worse. Um, I, think, I, I think the question isn't isn't do you do lunch. I think the question is do you do lunch. So like when you when you when you talk to your friends, say, oh, do you want to do brunch? Yeah, I do say that. Okay, fair enough. Not do you want to go get brunch? I think I said do you want to go to brunch. Do you go to brunch? Not often, but sometimes. We should go to brunch sometime. Not for that. There's alcohol at brunch. Of course, I go to brunch sometimes. <laughs> um, the cheers thing. Yeah, I've cried for a lot of shows yeah. that went off the air. Um. I don't have electric nose hair. I live with my mom, so that's five. I have ordered from the home shopping network, but I wouldn't use it hmm. as, like... A regular thing? Yeah. I got a really nice pair of earrings. I don't want to talk okay. about it. <laughs> um, this book is stupid. I don't like it. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> um, again, $66 per <laughs> item. How much is that so far? Fifteen hundred dollars and eighty four dollars. Listeners, you owe us fifteen hundred and eighty four dollars <laughs> for bringing this exclusive content to your ears. You owe us. Um, that. Please send it directly to my Venmo. I promise I'll share it with the podcast. <laughs> One thirty. Um, the camera lingo began to feel the fog of wonder and adrenaline dissipating. Thanks. That is what it says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know. This whole section is so stupid. It's, it's stupid. Just, it's like everyone internally monologuing and like occasionally externally monologuing at each other, and the camera lingo's plots coming to light, and everyone being shocked and horrified Here's about it. Here's the thing: it. is that there's a climax, and then the denouement is so long and boring. Well, th- but it has one very crazy thing that happens in it. That's right. But everything around that one crazy thing. Yeah. It's awful to read. Like, Ventresca's trying to justify himself to everybody. The Camerlengo. You don't want to mix people up here. Yeah. I mean, throughout the run of this <laughs> this <laughs> podcast, we've called him the Pope a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> the Camerlengo, we've probably called him the Cardinal a few times. <laughs> um, he says a lot of, there's a lot of, if not you, then who, if not now, then yeah. when. Have you, are you familiar with the song Lemon by N.E.R.D.? No, it's like fairly new, right? With Rihanna. Mm-hmm. That's her name, Rihanna, I think. Right, <laughs> right. That's right. There's okay. There's a, there's a music reference there. But... Okay, I, I know of the song, but I haven't listened to it. Please do. It's really. It's maybe it's, my favorite. It's like song. on the agenda, but lately I've been having a weird like metal phase and like <laughs> mid two thousands hip hop, specifically Brother Ali. Okay. You do what you gotta do. And I got a Future playlist because I wanted to understand Future. I listened to Migos, too. Did you understand Future at the end of it? Uh, I'm getting there. Back to this boring <laughs> stuff happening. Uh, he talks about wanting to be resurrected. And, oh, it, it, it describes his, like, a dark night, like, l- laying in the c- candle's place or lamp's place. 
and he's talking to God, and God's like, you have to restore their faith. And so he needs to be resurrected in this way. And um, I just thought that, like, Easter is an appropriate time to be watching this. Yeah. It's it's two days after Easter when we're recording this. It's true. It's going to be, like, a month after Easter when it comes out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's it. The last big revelation before, like, the main action beat of this section um, after we've gotten a lot of kind of recriminations and counter recriminations between the Camerlengo and Cardinal Mortati where like, and Vittoria where she's like, why'd you kill my dad? And the car's like, why'd you kill all those Cardinals? And Ventresca's like, or the Camerlengo is like, because I had to, to restore everyone's faith. Don't you see it's for the greater good? Uh, if not me, then who? If not blah, blah, blah. No, and then the big revelation that comes out like a fucking cannonball. Remember how we said the Pope had had a kid? Mm-hmm. And he did it through science. He never broke his vows not to engage in physical acts of intimacy. It turns out he had fallen in love with a nun, and neither uh, the former pope at that time, just a simple priest, nor this nun were willing to break their vows of chastity. But one day, she, the nun, found out about um, IVF. IVF, and. Uh, he saw the joy and hope in her eyes and couldn't kind of like deny this to her, this act of God's love that is creation of another human being. And so they do IVF, (laughs) I guess. That's right. And um, the resulting child is one Carlo Ventresca. Oh my God. The nun was his mom. He had a virgin birth. Yes. <laughs> um, in case you weren't getting the Jesus analogs. It's a lot to deal with. <laughs> this comes to light because Cardinal Mortati was the devil's advocate at the conclave that elected the previous pope, which apparently is the guy who like goes in and does all the oppo research right. to make the case for why this guy shouldn't be the pope. And uh, he found this out, and when the potential pope was like, yeah, that's absolutely true, um, but look into your heart, and if you decide to make this public and probably make me not be the pope, that's fine, or you can keep it hidden, and that's also fine. And Mortati felt it was inactive. And uh, also, Mortati felt that, so this was a good impetus for him, this is before he finds out that he was a son, but mm-hmm. so just back to the stupid plan that he's carrying out. So he's decided that this is a good time to vilify science mm-hmm. and create, like, resurrect the fear of the Illuminati to create more like religious fervor. Yeah. Um, just so we get kind of why it's such an elaborate plan. Yeah, he's got a lot of. Um... Because it's not just about killing the Pope. He's got a lot of brands in the fire, as it were. (laughs) Uh, Um, There's a lot of here, it says, like, without, this is page, or this is in chapter 131. Without darkness, there is no light. Without evil, there is no good. And it reminded me of uh, when Robert Langdon was trying to figure something out, and he was like, the Illuminati believe in opposites. (laughs) Um, Everyone believes in opposites. Everyone believes in opposites. Um, And so this... Revelation just totally snaps the Camerlengo's already fragile mental state. Um, which is it? What chapter are you in? I'm kind of not on chapters anymore. <laughs> I sort of don't care about 
like this whole set chunk of chapters is just like revelations and recriminations and just endless stuff. And so I'm kind of going out of order and just giving the general overview. Okay. But if you have things to say, um, by all means, bring them in. Sure. No, it's fine. He's just really dramatic. So every time he hears something that's upsetting to him, he like goes and vomits and like... Yeah. Liar. I believed in you. God believed in you. <laughs> um, so yeah, his, his world shattered the first time when the Pope says he had a child. And then after he kills the Pope, his world is like beyond shattered and bent but like fully just annihilated when he finds out that he was that child yeah and that the pope hadn't actually technically broken the vows of chastity in order to father a child yeah and then so the nun had left the convent to care for him after she after he was born Mm -hmm. and she's the one who died in that explosion um and then when the car priest had heard that that's what happened he took him in and Mm -hmm. made him a priest don't want you guys to miss this like really pithy backstory here yeah it all fits together like a intricate machine (laughs) (laughs) it's so stupid um so victoria's had it with this like long boring conversation which i get and so she's on her way out of the chapel and all the dudes stop her and they're like wait a minute you can't like go tell the world and she's like well i'm not gonna lie to them and they're like but you shouldn't go and then she's like what are you gonna do kill me and this like really hurts the feelings of all the cardinals but also it sort of seems like they're kind of like maybe (laughs) (laughs) well it says the old men blanched and vittoria immediately regretted her words she could see these men were gentle souls i would feel pretty bad if i was like what are you gonna do kill me and they were like we were just trying to talk about, like, maybe <laughs> maybe having a different plan. Like, I don't know why you had to go that far. <laughs> well, I mean, like, t- to be fair, she just found out that uh, this priest who was the Pope's, like, right-hand man just orchestrated a series of mm. si- five five murders, five planned murders. She also lost her dad and almost her boyfriend and yeah. nearly got raped. Her, so... dad, her dad was one of the ones whose murder was orchestrated by this priest who was just in the room with her. Like, yeah. the the clergy planning murders is not that far out of the realms of reality for her. Or for any of us, really. Yeah. Watch your back, is what I'm saying. <laughs> we should watch hours <laughs> after this. Um, <laughs> so she leaves. Um, because, what's his, who is it? Um... A deep voice is behind uh, Vittoria. He's like, "You then you will let her out. And they move aside because a man is speaking. Before these chapters, has Robert Langdon been described as having a particularly deep voice? Because now, like, a few times... He's vomited a few, few times cha- at this point, so... Yeah, but, like, because, like, when, when, he, when he came to get her when the Hassassin was, like, going to attack her, he had a deep voice. That's right. And then he had a deep voice here. I think he had a deep voice somewhere in the middle, too. And, like, I don't remember that being a part of his character. I don't remember that either, but um, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it keeps coming up, though, because it used to be about like kind eyes and broad shoulders, and now it's about deep voices. It's so weird. Um, Terrible. So he's like, Miss Vetra and I are leaving this chapel, and then Mortati is like, please go, but let me tell the public about what happened. Yeah. Um, then the Camerlingo disappears in the middle of all that. He somehow. just like runs out and does like... A full-on, like, football-style, getting through everybody, yeah. juking and running. You keep saying the word juking. Oh, you know. Does that mean that? 
Yeah. Okay. In his sports context. Okay. Um, it's probably pretty easy to avoid a bunch of 75-year-old Cardinals. <laughs> um, Who've been up for like three oh days God, or something. Oh my God, they've been up for so long. Uh, I mean, less than three. No, the, like The conclave started at like four. Yeah. But like it's... It's been a while for an old it's man. It's like one in the morning now. Yeah. Like twelve thirty at least. It's kind of, it's kind of, kind of late because Robert Williams had to go up in the helicopter, parachute down, get revived by these doctors, and then head back in the helicopter to the Vatican. So it's probably pretty late. Yeah. We no longer get time updates because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, not, there's no time deadline now. Yeah. So the camera lingo runs down to... He runs down to that chamber where there's the 99 lamps, right? Yeah, and meanwhile, he's having kind of a flashback as to what he's done. He's having a full mental break. Yeah, um, and he's thinking about his mother and her saying, like, never break a promise to God, and he needed to be Jesus. And um, he's remembering when he took all the preferiti in, and then a foreign-looking priest with a torch ushered them into the passetto, which is funny because those... Cardinals are all from a different country, and to say like there's one foreign-looking priest is bananas. They're all from different European, European countries. countries: Spain, Italy, Germany, France. Like, yeah, they're all just different flavors of white guys. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so they're they're calling they're they're so that happens, and he's like having a full mental break, and he's like, "Why didn't it work?" And he's like calling out to God, and God's like new number who dis <laughs> and um then he remembers like oh this must be god's will and the reason is that like robert langdon is the one who had to be saved to bring the truth to surface so robert langdon is the real jesus um christ <laughs> uh excuse me it's langdon not yeah, christ sorry. Um, My bad. and then let's see so he's like he's like looking to an angel and like he sees his own reflection and he's in like the lamp land and it's like beautiful and he sees the dead body of his son Theramir. he can't detect the breathing he takes the oil and pours it upon himself in 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 the um fuck what are they called um shit i haven't read this book in so long um the houses of healing maybe no he's not in the houses of healing He's just like in the barrows in Minas Tirith and he pours the oil from these lamps over himself and then heads out to the um, balcony from which the Pope addresses the crowds over St. Peter's Square and he's already covered in oil and the crowds are all like, ah, because they don't know that he's done all these murders and shit. Right. And uh, then he <laughs> lights himself on fire. He lights himself on fire. Um, and it's, like, instant. It just, like, consumes him and he's gone. And it's very, like, magical. Which sucks. And, uh, so he's gone. And he dies. And he disappears into a cloud of smoke. And it's been, like, a very dramatic day for everyone in the Vatican. Yeah. Because <laughs> this guy just showed back up, like, 40 minutes ago, maybe. Um. And so the aftermath, um... Mortati found time in between anybody else getting up to this balcony to go sweep up the, the Camerlingo's ashes and the put them with his dad, which is pretty sweet. I yeah. like it. And he does that even though that uh, necropolis is only meant for popes. Right. He still feels like it's right. And then he's led back into Conclave where he's told that now he's eligible for the papacy. And I think they kind of looked in Pope. 
Um, yeah, that's what happens. Um, I feel really bad for Mortati. I feel like he doesn't need this uh, in his life. It's the quickest route to heaven. Like, like I really feel like, like he's like, I don't need this fucking like dramatic ass Camerlingo. Yeah. I don't need any of these murders today. It's already hard enough to like have an election. Like he's doing his best. Um, he needs to tell though somebody that he swept up those ashes and put them in an urn and put them in the thing because someone's going to find them and be like, what are these ashes? And like, <laughs> what happened here? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he's fairly content to let, the public at large think of the Camerlengo as this saintly martyr figure. Even though they promised to tell the public what was going on, he doesn't seem to do so because everyone seems to kind of think of the Camerlengo as a martyr and saint after this. Right. They don't, they don't ever really tell the truth of what happened that night, which is fucked up because people are just walking around outside believing that the Illuminati is a real thing. And then to wrap up our next loose end, um, as you may recall, last time Gunther Glick gave a televised report, he kind of did a whole conspiracy theory about how CERN was crypto Illuminati and George H.W. Uh, Bush was an Illuminatus and he had this whole theory and now he kind of has to do a mea culpa um, and Chinita is sad for him, but also she's probably going to get her Pulitzer because she didn't fuck up. She just ran the camera and did a lot of good so work. So well. She did such a good job. And Glick does a pretty good job apologizing, but he's got a little trick up his sleeve where uh, right before his last sign-off, he's brought on this surprise guest who's like a Vatican law expert from the U.S., I think. From the DePaul University in Chicago. Yeah. Dr. Joseph Vanek. <laughs> Is he real? I, I can find out for you. And Dr. Joseph Bannock says... Um, There's an opera director. I bet that's who he's talking about. Where is the opera director from? He's like a Hungarian, look, I think. Hmm. I bet he saw like an opera he did or something and I liked it. Because Dan Brown really likes putting his like acquaintances' names into... Um... No, the only other... Uh... The only other references are to this book. Okay. So, Anyways, so it turns out that um, the previous night when all the cardinals had chanted uh, the Camerlengo's name, they had, in fact, elected him by acclamation. And so for a brief couple hours, he was the pope. Because that supersedes the uh, official election of the conclave. And so there have been two popes in the last day, not just one. Did you look up the adoration thing? No. Okay. Did you? No. <laughs> I thought you would. You usually do. We were so close to the end. I was like, <laughs> I just have to get through it. Um. So maybe he did get elected pope. He's dead now. So it's a good thing he got buried. In He's the... dead now. But, in, but yeah. So like, it turns out it was appropriate for him to have been buried in the place where only popes were allowed to be buried. And now the worst chapter of anything I've ever oh read my in God. my entire life. It you guys. is god-awful. <laughs> Bear with us, you guys. It's going to be a long... It's going to feel like a million years. So, Vittoria and Robert got a room at the Hotel Bernini that we First talked about he earlier. has that dream again about a yes. younger woman he's uh, married to calling yeah. for him and telling so him he's old. So, parallel structure from the beginning of the book where um, Robert Langdon... He was uh, atop the steps of the Pyramid of Giza. A young woman laughed and called down at him. 
but he can't really see her face. And then when he reaches her, she's a bedraggled old withered woman. Crone. This time, um, they're it's high on the steps of the Roman Colosseum, and instead of just a random young woman, it's Vittoria Vetra. And uh, her smile is magic. <laughs> and he's still, like, struggling to keep up with her. But then he wakes up. And he's in a hotel room with her, but they're on separate beds. It's very chaste. Mm-hmm. Um, so, riddle me this. Me riddle you this? Or the listener? Uh, whoever. Okay. Um, Robert and Vittoria. Let's say they leave St. Peter's generously at one forty-five a.m. Mm-hmm. It takes, presumably in a non-stolen car, at least 15 minutes to get to um, the plaza where the Hotel Bernini is. Right. 25 minutes? Probably, I, I guess I, everyone's I, leaving the Vatican. I, there's probably traffic. It's probably longer than that. I'm just saying, like, the earliest they could have gotten there is 2 o'clock a.m. Sure. As late as 3.30 a.m., let's say. Yeah. Can you just walk into a hotel during this busy time in Rome? It's the conclave. There's probably a lot of people in town. And say, I would like a room for two with two beds in it. I know it's 3.30 a.m., but I just uh, saved the church. <laughs> Maybe they got someone from the Swiss Guard to pull some strings. I guess. No, because they didn't. They, they they specifically did not tell anybody in the Swiss Guard where they were oh, going. I don't know. I don't know if you can do that. And I've al- booked hotels on a whim before. And also, but and, not also like and also, and also, and also, yeah. and also, and also, and also. Yes. Um. So they're careful to book a room that has two separate beds for them. Why don't they just get two rooms? Do they just like subconsciously know they're gonna fuck? With what money are they gonna get two rooms? Oh, that's true. Dan Brown's on a pitiful Harvard president's salary, and Victoria Vetra is this only a CERN scientist. Yeah, I don't know how much CERN scientists make. It's I don't know. Probably, it's probably not that much. <laughs> um, and anyways, um, he kind of comes back to after his dream, yeah, and has like a italicized bit where he's in a transitional period, and then he's in the room with Victoria, and. Before anything can happen, Chartron comes to the room, and he has a note from the new pope, mm-hmm. who... Is Mortati. Is Mortati. Who says, I'm not going to ask you to not tell anyone what happened. Just let your heart guide you. Which is the same thing that the previous pope told him about having a kid. Oh, yeah. I didn't put that together. Well done. Well, clever, Dan Brown. And then, uh, the pope gave him the, the Illuminati diamond. But just the one, like... Presumably Dan Brown's going to, like, do his book right. He's going to need all six of them bitches. I didn't want to say bitches there. I said that Ooh. earlier because that was fun, but that time it didn't either. Wait, wait. Robert Langdon's going to do his book right? Or Dan yeah. Brown's going to do his book Robert right? Langdon. You said Dan Brown. Oh, fuck. <laughs> because he was able to do the art of the Illuminati Volume 1. Right. But he couldn't do Volume 2 because he didn't have access to the Vatican archives. Well, I'm sure he could ask for access to the Vatican archives now if he wanted to. Okay. He saved the Vatican, so, not really. Yeah, but now but now his apartment, he's have even one more piece of looted art for his My only thought is that this brand belongs in a museum. Yeah. But we've established that that's true of everything that Robert Langdon owns in his apartment. That's right. Um, and after Chartron leaves is when the horror can begin. <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> I really don't want to. 
Also, they're just going to let people think the Illuminati is real and that they're really <laughs> just saved by a, a magical Jesus who lit himself on fire. But okay. Yeah. And uh, I guess right before Shartron leaves, Langdon declines to tell him what happened to the helicopter. He says he's forgotten it because in the stress of everything afterwards. Right. And then this last bit's only like two pages. It's so bad. It's the worst two but pages guys, of my life. <laughs> like they're... Yeah. <laughs> I kind of just want to read it. But... I think we should. You think we should just read? I think we should just read it. Okay. Okay. Want to switch off paragraphs? Sure. I'll start. Okay. When Robert Langdon returned to the bedroom, the vision awaiting him stopped him in his tracks. Victoria stood on the balcony, her back to the railing, her eyes gazing deeply at him. She looked like a heavenly apparition. Ellipsis. <laughs> A radiant silhouette with the moon behind her. She could have been a Roman goddess enshrouded in her white terry cloth robe. <laughs> you know how goddesses wear terry cloth all the time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the drawstring. Is it a drawstring or just... It's just a... A tie, you, you, right? You, you, you just like a, like a separate tie around the middle, but maybe the it's... hotel brunette's got weird-ass terry cloth robes. <laughs> Cinched tight, accentuating her slender curves. She's skinny. Guys. <laughs> Guys. She's curvy, but like, she's like not fat. <laughs> you know? Okay. Behind her, a pale mist hung like a halo over Bernini's Triton Fountain. Langdon felt wildly drawn to her. Ellipsis. More than to any woman in his life. Quietly, he laid the Illuminati diamond and the Pope's letter on his bedside table. There'd be time to explain all of that later. He went to her on the balcony. Victoria looked happy to see him. You're awake, she said in a coy whisper. Yeah. Finally. Langdon smiled. Long day. She ran a, th- a hand through her luxuriant hair, the neck of her robe falling Whoa. open slightly. And now, I suppose you want your reward. <laughs> the comment took Langdon <laughs> off guard. I'm ellipsis. Sorry? Ellipsis. <laughs> I can't read this next paragraph. We're, We're adults, adults Robert. Robert. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> you can admit it. You feel a longing. I see it in your eyes. A deep, carnal hunger. She, sm- <laughs> she smiled. I feel it, too. And that craving is about to be satisfied. It is? He felt emboldened and took a step toward her. Completely. She held up a room service menu. I ordered everything they've got. See, they have money for that second hotel room. (laughs) I was going to say, with what money? Um, The feast was sumptuous. They dined together by moonlight. Ellipsis. (laughs) Sitting on their balcony. Ellipsis. Ellipsis. Savoring frise. Which is lettuce, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Truffles and risotto. They slipped dolcetto. Truffles? Like chocolate truffles or the mushroom kind? I assume the mushrooms. They're just eating whole truffles? It's so bad to do that. It's it's a taste bad. I mean, she's dangling above his mouth like uh, uh, like a grape. <laughs> yeah. Um, they sipped dolcetto wine and talked late into the night. How did they talk late into the night? It, it was already. Did. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, he was asleep. Maybe it's. I guess it is nighttime because the okay, moon but, is framing her. But when they woke up, there's mist outside. Like that's early morning shit. I don't know. The feet. Oh, you did that already. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like in purgatory. I just keep experiencing this over and over again. Langdon did not need to be a symbologist to was. read. 
signs Vittorio was sending him. During dessert of boysenberry cream with Savoarde and steaming rum cafe. They're having coffee. They haven't slept yet. Vittoria pressed her bare legs against God his beneath the table and fixed him with a sultry stare. She seemed to be willing him to set down his fork and carry her off in his arms. But Langdon did nothing. You shouldn't... Hold on. You shouldn't read carry me off in your arms into a person. That's just how you like get into like bad consent situations. He remained the perfect gentleman. Two can play at this game, he thought, hiding a roguish smile. <laughs> Sorry, I almost spit-took, as it were. <laughs> when all the food was eaten, Langdon retired to the edge of his bed where he sat alone, turning mm. the Illuminati diamond over and over in his hands, making repeated comments about the miracle of its symmetry. Victoria stared at him, her confusion growing to an obvious frustration. Hold on. <laughs> her dad just died. <laughs> yeah, but now she wants to fuck. So I'm so mad. I'm uh, so mad. <laughs> you find that ambigram terribly interesting, don't you? She Wait, demanded. I'm sorry. Again, are they sitting on the balcony, both wearing robes, eating no, food? No, he retired to the edge of his bed. No, no, no. Before that, before that, they I just so. they didn't put clothes on to go out on the balcony. They were just they were in robes, robes, eating on the balcony. Yeah, got it. I think Langdon might have been. How nude. much? Okay, you've seen a, a room service menu before, right? Yeah. There's like what twenty five things on it. I think she didn't literally order everything on it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? I said, you find that ambigram terribly interesting, don't you? Oh, she you're Victoria now. Langdon nodded. Mesmerizing. Would you say it's the most interesting thing in the room? Langdon scratched his head, making a show of pondering it. Well, there is one thing that interests me more. She smiled and took a step toward him. That being? How you disprove that Einstein theory using tuna fish. That's a major callback, guys. Uh, <laughs> Vittoria threw up her hands. Dio mio. Enough with the tuna fish. Don't play with me. I'm warning you. I'm really glad you're doing the accent. It's uh, Langdon. <laughs> Langdon grinned. Maybe for your next experiment, you could study flounders and prove the earth is flat. Vittoria was steaming now. Hell first, yeah, she was. But the, fir <laughs> but the first faint hits, hints of an exasperated smile appeared on her lips. For your information, Professor, my Kinky. next experiment will make scientific history. I plan to prove neutrinos have mass. Neutrinos have mass? Langdon shot her a stunned look. I didn't even know they were Catholic. Uh, shout out to my friend Nora, who embroidered that phrase, or cross-stitched that phrase upon a, a thing for me for a Christmas gift. Did she? Yeah, I put it on the Instagram feed, I think. Your friend Nora the is the best. Um, with one fluid motion, she was on him, pinning him down. I hope you believe in life after death, Robert Langdon. Victoria was laughing as she straddled him, her hands holding him down, her eyes ablaze with a mischievous fire. This is so gross. It's real bad. It's... <laughs> We're almost through it, guys. <laughs> Actually, he choked, laughing harder now. I've always had trouble picturing anything beyond this world. <laughs> really? So you've never had a religious experience? A perfect moment of glorious rapture? Langdon shook his head. No, and I seriously doubt I'm the kind of man who could ever have a religious experience. <sighs> Good luck. <laughs> Godspeed, Forrest. Deep breath. Vittoria slipped off her robe. You've never been to bed with a yoga master, have you? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Her dad just died. <laughs> Her dad just died. Yes. Um, so. I'm so mad. Uh, 
so with that being said, what grade for Dan Brownness would you give this section? It's over, you guys. The book is over now. The book's over. We can put it down. It can't hurt us anymore. <laughs> this section? Yeah. Um, I have to look over my notes. Um, not very Dan Brown. Really? You thought it was very Dan Brown? Usually his endings are better than this. I mean, anything was good. I thought it was very, very Dan Brown. Like, I'll give it's, it a, it's, like it's, a B. Okay, I'm giving it an A minus. It's got like a convoluted explanation of the plot that's been going on. Mm. Um, it had that god awful thing we just read. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, I want to go take a shower. It's rough. Um, what about enjoyment? Again, remember the, like remember that chapter 137 is not the only chapter. <laughs> It's so hard to remember that, though. That's the oh, thing. God. Well, and everything that came before, it's, like, also pretty boring and didactic. Yeah, that's like, the thing. is, It's either boring and weird, or it's this awful, 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 awful chapter. Yeah. So I'm going to give it, like, a C. Like, my again, my final thought for reading this book was I want to die, which is not a good way to end no, any book. No, it's not. I'm giving it a B- minus for my enjoyment. Okay. Because, like, at the same time that that last chapter is the, one, <laughs> the worst thing that's ever written, um... <laughs> It also, like, really sticks in my mind, like, glue, and, like, uh, it's something that I'll probably delight in bringing up in casual conversation at some point, just like as a, you know, it's like the end of Angels and Demons, where uh, Victoria Vetris is the worst thing I've ever written, and I think that's um, a positive in its own. I am. I'm so sorry, I just... It's so awful, and... Do you have a demon for this section? For this section? Yeah. Um... Victoria for making me read that line. <laughs> oh yeah, that's fair. Um, I think my demon for this section is going to be Ferrero Rocher, even though he's dead. Oh, for not doing his job. Uh, yeah, because last time my demon was Chartron because he didn't like do enough to figure out what was going on. But at the same time, Rocher should have trusted his subordinates enough to let them in what was going on, and then he might not have died, and this whole thing could have been averted. And if he had listened to the 11th Hour Samaritan, mm-hmm. he may have averted everyone dying in those yeah. last few minutes. Um, what about an angel for this section? My angel is the uh, portly ambulance driver. I liked her. And uh, the fact that she got him there in time, and... He wouldn't have been able to come back and, like, kiss her silently if not for that. And she's great. And they all saved his life. My angel is Cardinal Mortati. Um, I, I get that. He's great. He, he, like, his warmth and humanity kind of shown through in this section in a way it hasn't in the past. And he seems to be a genuinely good guy. And, like, I'm sure you can't actually may, remain a genuinely good guy and be a successful pope. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably not as successful cardinal as he was. Well, he's but, old. Like, He'll probably die every, before he can be like, corrupted. I think he probably already is. But, like, everything we see of him seems very good and pure and nice. And I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. And what about whole book grades? Uh, I just want an overall letter grade for the book, not any particular facet of it. Just, like, A to F, Angels and Demons. It's a C. It was really rough. Like, I remember reading other Dan Brown books and liking them more. I By think, a lot. Yeah, I think I'm also a C. I remember reading this Dan Brown book and like being like, oh, this is really good mm. when I was 13. Yeah, I think likewise. Um, 
And I think I read at some point in the meantime when like I had the scales had fallen from my eyes about Dan Brown. Um, but I still didn't, th- I still like thought it was, I kind of had this impression of this one and the Da Vinci code being, uh, silly, but good. And I don't think I think that anymore. I think now I think it's, um, wanting in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like an amateurish, like project. And do you have an overall angel in this book? So I'm going to kind of cheat. Yeah. For my angel. That's okay. And I think it's fine because it's our podcast and we can do what we Absolutely. want. Absolutely. Um, all the women. All okay. the women in this pod- in this in this book are the angel. Because like Victoria saves Robert Langdon. <laughs> uh, that puts her a few in times. the contention for the demon category. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Chinita? Yeah, no, explain. An Chinita. amazing angel. I love Sylvie Baudelot. Oh, God, I forgot her. I love this portly woman that... Okay, especially the fat woman. Like, Chinita and this ambulance driver woman and the fat woman in the very beginning at CERN who teaches him about drag and resistance. God, I love her. These three fat women (laughs) saved Robert Langdon over and over and over again. It's true. And they are the heroes. Victoria doesn't have to be involved in that. I love these fat women. Okay. Yeah. Fat women are there to save Robert, which is a problem, but I love them. I think my angel is Maximilian Kohler. Um, A lot of the ableist stuff is said from his perspective. But it's not his fault he's just drawn that way. It's not his fault he's just drawn that way. And also, um, there is at least kind of a base character reason for him to be bitter about it because it's like a physical reminder of the way he felt his parents didn't care for him Mm -hmm. um and a physical reminder of the way he feels that religion has not only failed him but actively made his life more difficult and oh my god i totally forgot to mention we're talking about the kohler section last episode it talks about that this affliction was the reason he'd never known the touch of a woman yeah do you know how many fucking affairs Stephen Hawking had? Yes, so many. Like, my dude, uh, you can still get it in a wheelchair. Look, I know two dudes who live in wheelchairs, <laughs> and they're both drowning in pussy. Yeah, it's fucking unbelievable <laughs> that uh, Kohler is striking out in that field, unless yeah. it's for other reasons. Well, it's because Dan although, Brown has never met a person in a wheelchair before. Although, like, maybe it is just his personality driving women away is blaming on his uh, wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, yeah, Kohler's my hero because he, everyone was shitting on him the whole book and saying he was an unpleasant person. His employee wished he had died a million times, um, even though I like her too. And just everyone hates him, but his friend died and he was a friend to him in an unusual way. Like he didn't always agree with Leonardo Vetra, but his friend died and he wanted to get to the bottom of it. And he did. And he figured out the plot before anybody else. And he died for it. And he died for it. Like that man's the real hero in this book. And we wouldn't have had the truth without him. We wouldn't have had that camcorder. Literally. The movie, so the Sony. Ca- okay. The literally ro- Robert Lander running all the fuck over Rome didn't matter because Kohler figured out everything happening without anything. Robert did. Yeah. Robert didn't save a single Okay, honestly, he didn't save a single cardinal life. No. And he, like, if not for Robert, Vittoria would have not 
been in the position been to be in the position she would have been in. Yeah. Like, if Robert Langdon and Victoria Vetra had not been involved at all, it would have gone the exact same way. Is that not the case? I mean, if the Kohler confrontation in the office had gone down the same way, um, so if Chartrand and Rocher played the same roles, although Olivetti might still have been alive, and he might have been a voice of reason there. Okay, potentially. But okay, let's say Leonardo and Vetra go directly yeah. to hotel from meeting mm-hmm. each other. Okay. Like, so they've got... Yeah, no, like 90% of the bad stuff doesn't happen. Right, so Kohler finds the diary. He's a little bit late because he's been in the hospital, but he finds it. He goes and talks to the Camerlengo. I mean, I don't think he would have been in the hospital because he was in the hospital. I guess Robert Lane would probably still come to CERN. Sure, yeah. Okay. I'm, uh, that's what I'm saying. So the Camerlengo, he still goes and, talk, goes and talks to the Camerlengo. He still gets shot. Yeah. He still passes that camcorder on oh, to, to, somebody else. to someone else, perhaps. That's true. Eventually it comes out because someone's yeah. going to find it and watch it. Right. Yeah. So it's out there, and the same number of cardinals die. The Hassassin yeah. is still alive, but whatever. The, the, the antimatter still doesn't go off. Still doesn't hurt anybody because the, the camera goes still. Yeah, his, pretends his, his, to his be. His plot hinges what, on it, him saving the Vatican from it. Yeah. So and he still comes down. So the only life that really gets saved is the camera Lango's life. I mean, he might like, still. Have, now. He might still. Yeah, he might still have lost it after his shit was revealed. Yeah, I po- yeah, it's possible it could have been revealed at the same time yeah. to Mortati, and so, Mortati was like, but you don't know that you were the son, and then he lights himself on fire. Yeah, I had no Nothing idea. Nothing would have changed without Robert or Vittoria. Yeah, I had no idea how right I was. Absolute angel Maximilian Kohler. Uh, <laughs> what about a demon for the book? I'm sorry, I'm just caught on how like Robert didn't have to be in this book at all. It's just like it would have Ra- gone off without him. It's just like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where like everything turns out the same without Indiana Jones, <laughs> except the difference is that in Raiders, everything turns out the same, except we don't enjoy it as much. Whereas this book, everything turns out the same, except so it's better. way better. Um, and also, Harrison Ford is way sexy, and I yeah, want to look at him. Precisely. Sometimes when I imagine Robert Langdon, I think about the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think Dan Brown pictures... Himself himself but pasted like photoshop face morphed with harrison ford as indiana jones so tom hanks <laughs> yes that's exactly <laughs> what that looks like my demon yeah for the book as a for whole. for the book as a whole can you go first i still have to think about it because yeah. i keep just coming up empty with dan brown which i can't do <laughs> i mean you can but um my demon for the book <laughs> Has to be. Um, okay, I have it. Sorry, it's Robert Langdon. Yeah, because he nearly gets Victoria killed and then fails to save her, and then takes credit for it. <laughs> that yeah, that yeah. seems right. Yeah. Um. Also, the Hassassin is awful. Gunther Glick is fine except for at the end i liked him so much for so long and then he just like really nosedived you know what i think my villain might be mortati <gasps> why because <laughs> he's willing to let the world live in a lie mm, where the illuminati exists and the vatican saved the day yeah. although it was the work of one delusional man that is who was seeking personal glory like it's it's kind of morally reprehensible to allow that kind of thing to go on and I want to like Mortati, but he's willing to just sweep it under the rug. And it was a big fucking deal. Five, like, like four cardinals died and a pope and a Camerlengo. <laughs> like, That's true. 
I think my overall angel never actually makes a physical appearance in the book. It is that priest whose name I forget, who's the like Arnold Schwarzenegger who guards the Vatican archives from <laughs> yeah. interlopers. Yes. Because interloper. Because imagine this. This book ends. The next day that dude rolls into work. He finds <laughs> this missing Galileo folio. It's been destroyed. He finds one of the How would he know? That it was uh, was gone. He, does he go and check every single thing every day? He's very good at his job. <laughs> okay. um, and then he proceeds to find one of the chambers in his library with Smashed. the glass shattered, books all over the floor, presumably at least some of them ruined. And he says, who the fuck did this? And, and someone's like, oh, that's Roberto Langdon. <laughs> and, um, and sorry, that, that section that got shattered was the section that has all the Vatican's assets in it. Yeah. That's like the the accounting. Imagine how much Robert Langdon will never be allowed into the library again, no <laughs> yeah. matter fucking what. With the Pope himself being like, oh no, you gotta let him in. He like did a lot of shit. That guy's like, no. <laughs> that guy did incalculable damage. He destroyed the only known copy so of this. So he's your demon? No, he's my, oh, oh shit, is this demon? Yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry guys. I got caught up. Um, uh, who's my overall demon? Yeah, Robert Langdon. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what for? Just for general Robert Langdon is? Robert Langdon displays such a disregard for anybody other than himself and Vittoria Vetra in this book. Yeah. Every single, like, citizen of Rome they come across, and they're, he also they're prepared to shoot. Yeah. That guy in the Pantheon, he hates him despite the fact that he's doing nothing but helping them. Yeah. He carjacks that guy. He uses that Australian man and, like, probably doesn't even give him a scoop because someone saw that fucking corpse in the fountain. There the, a, and the shootout that yeah, happened. Yeah, there was a gunshot there. Like, he's not going to be the first one there. Yeah. Um, everything he does is for his own personal gain or just for, like, his selfish lust for Vittoria Vetra. He doesn't do anything for any other greater reason. He's a real shithead. He doesn't save anybody's life. I. He's just a bad person in this book. He also... Excuse me. Really doesn't care about Victoria Vetra until he realizes that he has a chance with her. Yes. Like she's just like an emotional girl who lost her father yeah, until like, she rea- like, he realizes. Like a little too like, smart. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, she's a little too smart until he's like, she's kind of looking at me like she's into me. Yeah. And then she becomes the most important person in the world because he might get laid. Yeah, I hate him. I hate him so much. Um. So that's angels and demons. Next time we're going to be beginning, or next time we're no, going to no. watch the movie. Yeah. So. So we'll be recording uh, the Angels and Demons movie podcast in whenever Forrest gets back. Yeah. Was that like in a month? I mean, I got back in like a week and a half. Oh, okay. I thought it was a much longer trip than that. No, I just wanted to make sure we had both recorded so I could get to the editing and stuff. Got it. Um, And so, yeah, maybe you didn't read Angels and Demons and that's okay. You shouldn't probably. It's not that good. I know Chris did. I spoke to him about Quite it. Quite a few people have <laughs> at our behest, and they shouldn't have. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris, but the movie is easy to watch, and you should watch it's it. It's true. I think it's, um, it's streaming somewhere right now. It might be on, like, Stars or something that I have through Amazon so I could watch American Gods, but I think it's somewhere right now. Yeah, and if not, it's probably, you'll figure it's, out. It's probably two bucks to rent on Amazon. Yeah. It's not so bad. Yeah, you should The you movie's, should I it. promise, not terrible. It's, it's not, not as it's bad not, as this, because it's, it's not as long. It's, yeah, it's not great, but... Um, you know, give it a shot. I can't wait to see that fight scene where they're going in a circle. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to us talk about Angels and Demons. After yeah. we finish the book, um, 
well, but now that we finished the book, after we finish the movie, movie, we'll be starting on the Da Vinci Code, but you may be getting a few mini episodes in yeah. between our regularly scheduled episodes. Uh, we're not going to talk much about those because no, we're still working on just in them case out. anything falls through. But yeah. Yeah. So in the meantime, you know, buy your copy of the Da Vinci Code, steal <laughs> it from somebody so you don't have to pay for it. Use someone else's it's, login. It's like literally the best selling novel of all time. Please don't give the man any more money. <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't give him any. He doesn't deserve it. <laughs> give us your money. I think you can find PDF copies online for free, and your local library will absolutely have it. Just read it yeah. all in one go. Use ways and means, sources yeah. and methods. Yes. Um, someone you know has the Da Vinci Code. Is this, That's true. Like, what is the kind of joke? Yeah. Someone you know has the Da Vinci Code. Put it on Facebook. Be like, who has the Da Vinci Code? Anyway, we recommend you do read that one along with us because it's, it's pretty fun. It's the best one. Yeah. If I recall correctly, yeah, I'm prepared to be extremely wrong though. I think it is the best one. If it's the most successful one for sure. Anyways, uh, rate and review us on you iTunes. animals. Yeah, please do. It really does help us out. Uh, it helps us reach more people and all of that. So people need to know about people this. need to know about this podcast um, because how else will they know that Dan Brown is a bad author? It's true. They'll be fooled by the 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 glitz and the sales, glamour, the sales and the glitz and the glamour. Or and... my favorite argument: he made millions of dollars. So yeah. who's really a bad author? Exactly. Still him. Still it him. doesn't matter if you make money doing it. Yeah, there's plenty of rich charlatans. Donald Trump is an awful, awful builder. So I don't think we should bring politics into this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not politics. It's a fact. Uh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the. the d- <laughs> At, nice our, at our Twitter handle. <laughs> at Dan Brown Code Pod. Um, you can follow me, Lena, at Lena Jamili, L-I-N-A-J-E-M-I-L-I. I always have to spell it because my name is foreign. You can follow me at Wishbone Ulysses. Ulysses is also foreign, but I don't have to spell it because it's a part of our culture, thanks to James, Joyce, and also Homer. And also Ulysses S. Grant. And him, but... Uh, yeah, I like him. Never mind. Um, <laughs> um, you can also find us on Facebook. Um, just search Dan Brown Code Pod and you'll find it. Have a wonderful day. You too. Oh, that, was for the, Thank that was for the audience, <laughs> not for you. No, have it's, a great day. It's 11.15 p.m. <laughs> Holy shit. It's way past Forrest's bedtime. I'm going to go rhinestone a bra after this. <laughs> yeah, we live different lives. Yeah. Um, I did want to say one more thing. Okay. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you uh, for the Dan Brown... Uh, for Angels and Demons, the, the motion the movie. picture. Yeah, the motion picture starring, starring Tom Thomas Hanks. Hanks. Directed by Ron Howard. We're so tired, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, have a great day. Have a great Bye. day. Bye-bye. <laughs>